was thinking about uh, some more lessons my father taught me without saying a word. I, uh, we grew up on a farm, and we got to the point where farming was very difficult. We weren't making payments. And Dad talked a couple times about losing the farm, and as a child, that scared me. I decided I would give my Dad my $125 that I had saved up to save the farm. And... Uh, he didn't think that was necessary, but uh, I remember seeing one day on his desk, God is responsible for this family's finances. And I looked at that note and thought, wow. Um, some couple months later, somebody called him up, brother called him up and asked him to come work in construction. He didn't know what else to do, so he did that. A couple months later, that man moved away and gave Dad the business. And that's how God provided for our family. That's how God provided. As soon as my brother got a little older, he took over the home farm. And the Dad, as soon as he got debt taken care of, he went back to help my brother. But God provided. And so I kept the construction end going. Um, I remember one of the significant turning points was we had a bunch of ground come up for bid, and it was in the military base beside us. And Dad was going in for the bid that day. And uh, we, I knew that our family's life was kind of hanging in the balance with how that bid came out. Because if he lost the ground, uh, we certainly weren't going to be farming very much anymore. And uh, he went in every five years, this ground came up for bids. I remember him getting out of the old truck when he got home, and I'm watching Dad to see his reaction. I'm watching his face. And he's coming across the yard whistling. Guess what? We lost the bid. And little things like that told me my father was walking with God. Little things like that. Because in my little scared heart, they were big. And when your father whistles, and you know it's going to probably be big to him too, and he just seems relaxed. You think, well, maybe he believes in God. I think I could serve a God like that. I remember as I got into business with Dad, somebody called up one day and wanted to know where we get screws for fasteners and things like that. And Dad said, well, here's where we get it. And I'm thinking, Dad, you don't give your competition Hence, I mean, you don't give your competition good ideas, you know, you're competing. A couple more weeks went by and that brother came back and gave dad all kinds of work. And I looked at that and I thought, oh, oh, as we fight for our rights, um, or we yield our rights and let God live in our lives. And, and uh, those stories became meaningful in my own heart. I, I don't need to there's I don't need to fight my competition. I'll give them advice. Here's how we do it. We have a couple competitors and we get together and we like to talk and we when it comes bedtime we're rough on each other. We like to talk and you know, discuss ideas and some things that did work and didn't work and we even learn things from each other. I like that kind of relationship. Um
my father's sister took a different route. And I don't know how many of you are wrestling with family members going different ways. But I just want to tell you children a story that came from our family. My father's sister took a different route. She married a man outside the community. And then he went with the the homosexual crowd, so she remarried. And I remember my father pleading with her, Please do not. This is not God's way. Don't don't do this. Don't do this. And then her son grew up and three or four women later and children to almost every one of them. And we hear this news about over in Iraq that one of the American soldiers over there committed some atrocity. And... And then to cover it up, the soldiers burned the whole family and discovered that that's my father's sister's son's son. Young people, you might not think that your decisions have a lot of consequences. They go long ways. And not only that, when you walk away from God, You set up generations that walk away from God. I mean, the whole generation from there down. Do you know that America would be full of Christians if the children would have stayed with their father's God? I don't think there'd be much room for much else. Independent homeschoolers. I'm just going to take a little bit of a whack at that, and I think I can do this because we homeschool. And I'll tell you why we homeschool. We homeschool because of some of the peer pressure I experienced in school, and I decided I wanted something different for my children. Okay, that's why I do it. But I've also noticed a negative side to homeschooling. We grow up in our individual families, and we can become pretty individualistic. And uh, independent, we, we just like, it's our little circle and we don't really end up blending, connecting well. Was that biblical? The body of Christ was made to function together. The body of Christ was made to function together. If I <clears throat> open up this drawer here and I pull it out and there's an eyeball Looking at me. And I slam that drawer back shut. And I pick up the next door. And here there's two hands in there laying. Can you imagine the horror that would fill your heart when you look at that? Well, it's no different in the body of Christ. When you've got body parts around that aren't functioning together with the body of Christ... And you are not the whole body. You are one individual member of the body. You are not the body of Christ. You're just one of the parts. But it is no less grotesque. Um, But we're friends. Parents, are you givers or takers? Recently I was reading through some material... And they were talking about a couple seas over in Bible times. And the Sea of Galilee was a sea that teemed with fish. 
you could fish out there. Peter and his brothers went fishing. The Sea of Galilee, Jesus, they had, remember the good experience fishing they had? They caught a whole net full and the net didn't break. 153 fish, was it? Big ones, it says. Good fishing. But the next sea down is called the Dead Sea. The same river flows through the Sea of Galilee as it does... I've got my geography correct here, right? You've got the Sea of Galilee, then you've got the Dead Sea. Now, what is the difference between those two seas? The one takes, but it also gives. The other one is just a taker. It all comes into that sea, and that sea is devoid of life. It's just full of salt. It, it never gives. That sea... <clears throat> Families who minister together stay together. Families who minister together stay together. I was surprised when we lived in New York how it pulled our family together. Our children were walking different than a lot of their friends were. But somehow we struggled more with peer pressure when we got back home again among our own people than what we did when we were there ministering. Um, and I've tried to say, what are, the, what are the families that are sticking together? Often ministry is one significant thing or some kind of vision and goal that the whole family has embraced. Those families stick together. <clears throat> You are not a good frog if you can't croak for your own pond. Do you like your harmony here? Do you, I mean, do you really like harmony? Then, then croak for it. Okay? Do you like harmony? Let your children know. You, if you go home with a critical attitude and say negative things about harmony, don't expect to keep your children with you at harmony. They, they're going to leave. Learn to croak for your own pond. Now, not in a... Not in a way that's putting you above the other churches. But there's a difference between those who really appreciate their people and those who... Actually, I remember going to school and I remember thinking it's the bad children who don't support the teacher, it's their children that seem to struggle the most. Now, I don't think that's always true, but in, in, this, in this particular situation, it seemed like the children had the backup of the parents, and that created a lot more conflict with the teachers because the children were getting support from home. So... We don't really know yet. A lot of you said you've only been here a couple years of harmony. So we really don't know yet if you're disciples of Christ. We don't. We don't. We're waiting. The, the verdict is still out because here's the verdict. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. So we're waiting on that verdict. Um, by this shall all men know. That you're my disciples if you love one for another. 
Uh, some of these notes here, I remember sharing at Oasis a while back. So please, brethren, I hope you're okay with this. Um, oh, let me, let me go back here. I want to talk a little bit more about the body. Here is Paul's comments on it. For as the body is one, hath many members, all the members of that one body, being many or one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles or brethren or Mennonites, whether we be bond or free or have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? I was trying to figure out if there's anybody would be happy being in the smelling, but it doesn't, I think it's probably, there's different functions. In fact, there are different functions and different stages of life depending where God has you in his school. Now, let me explain this a little bit. Dwight Moody said one time that there's three, there's three tests that strong men go through. The test of obscurity was one of them. The test of, how was that worded? The test of uh, success, I think, was another one. And... Uh, there's, it's very possible if you are just walking through life and it doesn't seem like you're noticed, like God uses you, it's very possible that he's got you in school, in training. And you may be going through a test of obscurity, just not being used. Um, and there's a lot more. I mean, God is God and he knows each heart. And he, I, I can stand here and I see faces, but God knows where he's at with discipling each one of you He's working with every one of you. That is a great comfort to me when I, our children gave to the hearts to the Lord. And some of them came with deeper conviction of sin than others. And I, you know, so do we want to look for a deeper conviction in the next child? Well, there's different personalities. Not all children are going to come with the same conviction, weeping, that kind of thing, confession of sinners, different personalities. And the exciting thing is that I can give it to God and trust that he is going to keep working that which he needs to work in the children. Um, I can can give that to him. So I wrote one poem in my life, and I keep it with me and share it every so often. And I I don't plan to ever write another poem. This is it. So, probably some of you may have heard this before. There was once an engine whom we will name Cummins, whose parts were well oiled, and he was a humming. Though the road he had traveled had been quite long, he was still far from the end and feeling quite strong. Side by side, the pistons were laboring that noon. At 2,000 RPM, they were pumping a tune. By the way, I wrote this the day Hadassah was born. We were home from church, and I was waiting. We were waiting for her to show up. And I was sitting there, and one of the men had said, well, let's, uh, let's write a parable for Bible study. 
And I thought, well, I'll just try to do something in poem form here. It seemed to be sort of come together. So the valves took the turn in perfect time, and Brother Crankshaft kept the rods on the climb. Mile upon mile, state by state, Cummins was coming and would not be late. But say, what was that bump? Did somebody fall? Oh, don't worry, my brother. It's no problem at all. We just straddled a rock, and everyone's fine, even though we did leave Brother Cat behind. Now the oil began flowing. It couldn't stay in. Between the cap and the engine, it soon stretched too thin. Cummins' tomb changed. Brother Camshaft complained of headaches and blisters and serious back pain. Piston ran strong, but he was no longer mellow. And soon those by his side thought him an abrasive fellow. Rod grew hot and up he stood. And the last we knew, he went through the hood. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. I knew I was going to run out of notes and I decided that's okay. Here is my thought. If, if we would take the messages we hear on Sunday and there would be one change in our life from the message that Sunday, our churches would be way ahead of where they're at if we just got one thing on Sunday. Um, we worked with the church there, congregation for a number of years in New York. And I remember standing different times in the basement there. But one time in particular, I went down there and I looked at the records. I've shared this with Oasis the last time. I looked at the tapes and the CDs. And I I looked at the dust. You can wipe things, dust come off. I thought, you know, I can't... I, I can't preach a better message. I, I can't say more. I, I can't. There's nothing. I, I can't outrun. I can't. I can't outperform. I can't do. And then here today, I need to break some news to you. Um, for you families, you're not doing a good enough a job. I want you to know that you're not, and you're not gonna. You're not gonna. We need the grace of God. We need something that we don't have ourselves. You're, uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about humility. God resists the proud and gives grace to who? The humble. Grace. Not just the desire to do what's right, but the power to do what's right. Grace. I, uh, we need the grace of God. I remember years ago, I used to go into the local Chambersburg prison, and we would sit there, and these men had a heart to do what's right. They, we would have good Bible studies. And, I, and then I was asking myself, what is happening when we walk out Okay, they get out of jail and they go right back to the same lifestyle. I thought we were having such good Bible studies. What's going on? And they they go down the street, 
And they meet an old buddy. And they shake hands. And he says, hey, man, come over tonight. And they come over, pull a little beer out. Next thing you know, they're right back into the same lifestyle. And they had all the good intentions. And we're no different. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to humble ourselves. I don't know how I can say it any more than that. Um, we need to humble ourselves. Hadassah last summer was up at Faith Builders and there was a group of young people out on the beach for the evening, uh, Lake Erie or whatever it was, I'm not sure. I guess there's some lake close to Faith Builders there. And they were standing there and just enjoying the evening. And out on the water, some of the boys went out on the water. And uh, maybe it was some young people from here, I'm not sure. They're out on the water, these young guys. And the rest of the young people are standing on the beach just enjoying the evening. And it's a beautiful evening. And there's a fellow out there drowning. And everybody is enjoying the conversation. No one's realizing what's going on. And as he goes down the last time, he gets his hand above the water for one last desperate plea for help. And all of a sudden, that group of young people realized what was happening, galvanized them to action. And one of them, one of the young men who was a very capable swimmer, started swimming, and the rest of them formed a human chain and got out. And got a hold of these, both of them, and brought them back in. And it was a very sobering time. It was hard to eat supper, at least for my daughter it was. They went and finished their evening. Um, brought them. Once he got in there, they actually started crying, yelling for anybody who's got medical experience. And in a few minutes, he started breathing again. But as I think about that... <clears throat> If you are struggling, don't try to hide it. If your family's wrestling, don't, don't try to pretend there's nothing wrong. Start asking questions around. Start sharing with others. Start um, seeking wisdom from other brethren in the church. You know, one of the greatest blessings in my life is to realize I am not going to be everything my children need. But I'm glad that there's men around who can give um, well, just for instance, I, I love to sing, but don't ask me to teach you how to learn notes, young people. You're going to have problems. But we have a young man in our congregation who loves to sing and loves to instruct. And he instructs our children. We let them go to chorus, and they have a good time singing together. And uh, we're not going to get everything done, parents, that we want to do some days. But there are other brethren around who might be able to help you out. And uh, so I would encourage you, um, look around. <clears throat> I told you that all 11 of my children are going to be here. And that excited me. I looked around, saw, well, actually 12. Brian's my son now, too. Uh, looked around and saw Michaela made it. She's the one that got married. Brian, I want to tell you one more thing about parenting. We train our children up. And so the other day, I wanted to see if Brian and Michaela would come down. And do you know what Michaela said? Ask Brian. Oh, I'm used to being the dad. Uh, okay. Well, 
isn't that what we want? Isn't that we wanted to train for? We want our girls to go with their husband, and so you train, you teach, but then there comes a day when you need to learn to also let go. I mean, you know all the stories about mother-in-laws, but there's father-in-laws too. And so it's, there comes a day to just leave. And uh, I, um, for whatever that's worth, fathers, um, do what you can with training your children. We, I wrote a letter to the phone team when we lost our baby a year ago. I had always sort of looked forward, before, when I was young, I sort of had this vision of 12 children. I don't know where that came from. I sort of, I thought it would be neat to have 12 boys. I, I still think that would be neat. But God, I just felt like sort of a, something in my spirit, like, no, don't wish for that. And so began to watch what God gave us, and so he gave us a boy, and then six girls, and... Uh, the other day they were singing Daddy's Girl and they had their dad in tears. <laughs> and then he gave us two more little boys and then two more little girls. And then we had another one on the way. And I always, for some reason I had in my mind, it would be neat to have one more little black-haired boy. That would, I would like to have one little more black-haired boy. But uh, and then actually the thought crossed my mind, well, maybe Lord will give us a baker's dozen. I like... Okay, I like children. And uh, we were looking forward to this child being born. We are getting older. <clears throat> and uh, he decided to come a little too early. We had had one preemie in the hospital, so we knew what the, we knew what the hospital experiences were like living at Hershey and living in a Ronald McDonald house and listening to the lifelines come in and sense all the pain that is in that community there, the hospitals. By the way, the hospitals are a part of the curse. When Revelation says there'll be no more curse, there'll be no more hospitals. They'll be gone. No more curse. And with that, we'll go to the hospitals. But we're glad for what they do for us. Before we had our children, I remember thinking, if we have a lot of children, there's more chance for our hearts to be broken. So we had a lot of children. And uh, here's the letter I wrote to the billboard team after a lot of them sent condolences when the baby died. And here's the letter that they sent, uh, that I wrote to them. Dear friends... Martha and I want you to know that we have felt so loved and cared for by the family of God these last several days. I think it was Friday morning when we sat together and read through your responses to our grief. I have a lot of things on my heart and will not get it all said. Every email ministered to us in some way or another. First, just to fill you in, Dwayne, you mentioned the children. On Wednesday evening, we called our families who lived close to meet us when we got home from the hospital. They came and brought their children. We first spent a few minutes with our own children, showing them their little brother. 
and letting them hold him if they wished. He was 20 weeks along, and um, my wife lost her amniotic fluid. When this baby was born, there was nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong. We first spent a few minutes with our own children, showing them their little brother and letting them hold him if they wished. Moments like this are sacred, and I don't, did not want to waste the incredible opportunity that God was giving us. The four-year-old was the most resistant to holding him, and she ran off saying, I was a preemie and I did not die. A day or so later, we kept him with us for a couple of days, so some children got home from Idaho. You can do that with a with a baby that's not eating food. You can you don't need them. But we kept them for three days, four days, I guess it was, in the house with us there. I put my son on the windowsill, and a couple times during those days, we my wife went back up to the room and pulled the little lid off and looked at her son. Those were precious times. I thought of the dreams I had for him. <clears throat> a day or so later, <clears throat> Martha asked her again if she could hold her little brother so we could get a picture. This time she agreed and she sat holding her little brother, looking at him intently. And a softness came into her eyes and her daddy stood by and wept. And a softness came into his heart. Next. We took him into the room full of cousins and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas. We again left those who wanted to hold him do so, and we wept together. And we thought that the 35 minutes between sunrise and sunset were too short. That's how long I held him until he died. His heart kept beating for 35 minutes. And I sat there in the, delivery, in the delivery room and held my son and cried and cried and cried. Nurse kind of looked at my wife and said, guys, do that sometimes. We again left those who wanted to hold them do so, okay? The next morning, we sent a call to our church family and welcomed them to come that day between 2 and 7 if they wanted to agree with us and to say goodbye to our son. They nearly all came, one by one, bringing their children with them. By the way, if you said death, this can actually be a precious experience. Our families, church families, came in that day, bringing their children with them. I held our son and showed the children how big a 15-ounce baby is. It is amazing how many mothers have lost children. You don't realize it until you lose a child and then you start walking through the crowds. And then, oh yes, we lost one and we lost one. There must be quite a crowd up there. There must be quite a crowd of little fellows up there. There must be quite a little flock. Ralph, you said you shed a few tears. Thank you for weeping with us. Our children's friends came and they put their arms around each other and wept. And young mothers came. And they asked if they could hold our little boy. And they cried as if it were their own. I think some were remembering their own losses. Tonight, there are a lot of hearts feeling soft and wondering 
why there are so many times we forget the big picture. The name. You know, Roger, you said you named your little boy Boaz. I found that interesting because that is the name that I decided to name that little black-haired boy if he ever came. When we bury our parents, we bury the past. When we bury our children, we bury the future. John, you alluded to that when you talked about your son's future as a teacher musician. That was John D. Martin. As we thought about those walks out the lane with a little chubby two-year-old's hand and ours and birthday cakes and evening worship with the family on an oversized chair that my wife bought so we could get more children around dad and evening worship. We've got this big chair. Sometimes when couples come to visit, I like to stick them both in and I'll say, here's where you sit, and they kind of squish in there. But uh, big chair... Watching our son's bride, his, watching our son watch his bride come down the aisle, etc., etc., we decided to name him Isaac. Isaac because we needed to put him on the altar. <clears throat> on to the way to the hospital, my wife cried out to God, God, is there no other path to take? Is there no other path to take? It seems like I heard a voice in a garden one time. The Son of God, with almost the same Father, is there any other way? But if not, not my will but thine be done. Aren't you glad that as he wrestled that night, he said, Father, your will be done. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Thank you, Jesus, for not taking another path. We named him Isaac. For his middle name, my wife wanted something that sounded less morbid, something like a precious stone. How about Jasper? I told her I wasn't so sure. I just couldn't get my heart around it. So she let it go. The next day she suggested it again, so I went and looked it up. The commentary said this. Remember this. This is baby number 12. The commentary said this. Jasper was the last of the 12 precious stones to be inserted into the breastplate of the high priest. It was the first of the 12 precious stones to be put into the foundation of the new Jerusalem. I thought this really fits. We named him Jasper. I told my wife, his middle name will be Jasper. Some more thoughts. I know that many Christians believe that life begins at conception. And as I thought the last couple days about Jesus and John the Baptist, I realized why why we believe that. John was 24 weeks old in the womb when Mary walked in with Jesus in her womb. Jesus had just been conceived by the Holy Ghost... The medical world would have just called this, called Jesus tissue at this point. John, at 24 weeks, only three weeks older than Isaac, leaped in Elizabeth's womb when Jesus, who had just been conceived in Mary's womb, walked into the room in his mother. I also find it fascinating that at that age, John knew Jesus. 
But later in life, sitting in a prison cell, the nighttime of his soul, because the scripture says the babe leaped in her womb for joy when Jesus walked in. But years later, sitting in a prison cell, he's experiencing some nighttime of the soul. And he sends disciples to Jesus and said, are you the Messiah? He's just, he's now wondering. He began to doubt. Satan has also opened a few doors the last couple of days and invited me to step through. Wednesday morning, I picked up my Bible and read in John chapter 15. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And I thought if I will anything right now, it is that our baby lives. And right here it says, if we ask him, he will do it. I'm going to ask and I'm going to believe the word of God. That night, our baby died. And I could hear different voices, voices from the billboard calls over the last couple of years, voices like your belief in God is just your imagination. I remember one atheist saying, God never did anything for me. And Satan said to me, has he ever really done anything for you? The next one was, <clears throat> it says, if you abide in him and his words abide in you, then ask what you will. I wonder if I really am a man of God. God did not hear my prayer. Has He ever heard any of my prayers? I think by the grace of God, I've been able to walk past the doorway to bitterness and yet still ask honest questions. I think it's fair to ask honest questions, but not like Eve asked, hath God said. There's there's a difference in questions. When I hear people, young people asking questions... I'm nervous and I'm glad. I think it's fair to ask good questions, but not like Eve asked, hath God really said. Why did God not answer my prayer? I don't have all the answers yet, but I'm wondering if maybe it has something to do with the fact that I did not know what my will was because I did not yet know God's will. <clears throat> But when people call and they're wrestling with this whole thing, I often take them back. I said, look, Adam and Eve made a choice in the garden. And if there's a good, their question is, if, there's, if God is good, why does he allow this evil to happen? The, the, the horrific things that are happening in society. And my answer is, that wasn't God's choice. That was Adam and Eve's choice. And there was a curse placed on the earth. And Revelation said that curse will be removed. We're dealing with that curse. But God had a remedy. He sent, in the fullness of time, He sent His Son to walk with us. To invite us into the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Some more thoughts. After David buried his son, he went to the house of God. And it says he worshipped. I want to worship God. I want to worship Him with my words. With my attitudes, with my mind, with my heart. Today as we buried our son, my wife raised her hand toward heaven. And that little group of weeping ones found ourselves on hallowed ground. And we worshipped. When we were done, the four-year-old, remember the one who didn't want to hold her little brother? Says this. I'm not sure if she's ever been in a funeral before. When we were done, the four-year-old said in her innocent way, Wow, that was quite the burial. 
Not sure if she remembers any other burials, but she was spot on. We want to wrestle till the day dawns, and I cannot let go of God till He blesses us. I don't want to waste good sorrow, and I trust this week that God has touched my thigh. Until my dying day, I will walk with a limp. No, the next time you meet me, I will probably not be limping, but you know what I mean. Touched by God, and I hope I will never be the same again. I trust that you have been touched by God, and that your heart is also feeling soft right now. Out of our stony grief, Bethel will raise. Out of our stony grief, Bethel will raise. As I think about our family, we will never all be together again. Unless we all make it to glory. Because one is already there. I don't have to worry about that child. I don't have to feel concerned for Isaac. But the only way we will ever all be together again is if all of us make it there. Okay, so I, I got a couple more things. Well, Leonard asked if our family would come and sing, and I said, "Well, that's good. We were talking about maybe doing some of that." So I think, I think, I this is another thing with being a busy father. I don't even know what the program is hardly. My wife and children put it together. I could hear them singing yesterday out in the living room while I studied, but I didn't really have time. They called me out to sing one song with them, and and so this is where. A wife and children can be a blessing when dad's busy. And uh, so Martha, how, what was the, what did you lay out? First song? 